Save big money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen on sale through May 5th. And check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Almost live from the trenches of New York City, here are your middle-aged warriors, Chris Cimino and Rick Summers. Oh, yeah. I got to tell you, I love that this theme song. We've never commented on it, Rick, but uh, it's, it's called Open Road, but it's catchy. It's got me dancing this morning. You found it, man. You get all the credit. It's good stuff. Here we are, Middle-Aged Warrior Show number 26, and uh, we've got a repeat guest coming our way today, but kind of timely, right? Yeah, absolutely. As we get into the home stretch of the pendant drive, yeah, pendant <laughs> not drive. for sports, <laughs> no. but for the political season, we wanted to uh, touch base again with an old pundit, and that's our friend Scott Blakeman, who was actually one of our early guests back uh, over the summer, and he's such a sharp guy when it comes to politics, so we thought it would be fun to talk to him again. Do you have a favorite sports cliche? Hmm. Well, yeah. it's more of a yogiism. It ain't over till it's over. Yeah. It's kind of, uh, <laughs> yeah we, we left it all out there. So we're like uh, less than 50 <laughs> days before the election, and we thought it'd be fun to talk with Scott. New York City comedian who is just uh, brilliant and does a lot of public speaking and comedy about what it's like to be a New York liberal and a political comedian. And a guy from Brooklyn, and here he is. Hey, Scott, it's great to have you back. I don't know if you remember, you were on with us in June. Oh, I, I couldn't forget. <laughs> I, I wouldn't forget in normal times, but these times I do so yeah. few things. How could I, if I really forgot, I would have serious issues. Uh, yeah, no, I, I got to tell you, um, I mean, it's ironic. We've only had a couple of people on twice, yeah. you being the second. Mm -hmm. And the first is a colleague of Chris's, who's a meteorologist. And I said, well, that's topical because we're talking about global warming, climate changes, and, and California on fire. And then coming back to you makes perfect sense with high political season. Yeah, it is the season. And obviously, as a comedian, boy, there's got to be a lot of material out there for you right now. Some of it's scary, though, I, I would think. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting time because normally you would think an election year, that's the ideal time. And in some ways... It is because people are focused on it, but in some ways, people are more set, you know, they're at the arms folded and I'm on this side and this side. That can't be. There used to be a time where you could actually joke about both sides and people would be like, oh, I just want to laugh. And that's obviously not the case anymore. Plus, whatever people think of our, the current administration, they have to agree that it's very, very unusual. It's nothing that we've seen before. It, it is a, a troubling time. So, you know what the key thing here is? You know, you got to talk about what's going on, but how do you do it and not depress people? So right. it, it is a little tricky. And I found that once Trump took office, uh, you know, there's always material, but I would try not to even mention him sometimes, which I think is something, mm. you know, a lot of the television comedians, late night comedians, political humor isn't just doing Trump stuff. Obviously, he's president. Obviously, he's going to say every, things every day that you can roll your eyes about. That material. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I think that you got to try to put in respect, like, uh, for example, watching the conventions, which was obviously a different 
phenomenon this year. And uh, every time I do a Zoom thing now, I feel like I'm in the Democratic convention, you know. <laughs> you know, much. You know when Biden and Harris, they looked up at the board of 25 people on Zoom applauding. Of course, it was that one couple who their whole job was to applaud and be animated, and they were looking off to the side and talking. <laughs> so in a way, we're all in the same boat now. People running for president are using Zoom. So, uh, you know, that's a different, but I think it was effective how that was done. I mean, it was, um, as opposed to the Republican convention, uh, you know, it was in this big hall that almost looked like it was a funeral, really, which, uh, and well, for some, it might've been, it depends well, on Well, I was going to say, and I think for hope that it, it, that is the connotation. Uh, Do but, you feel though, from the, from the comedic standpoint, I mean, there's, there's this backdrop, you're always working in the shadow of this pandemic and there's kind of a pall put over everything. Do you feel like you're swimming against the current sometimes trying to be funny or do you find people are really hungering for humor to laugh? I, I think that, I think people definitely are hungry even more and the, the Zoom shows that I've done, I find that people really wanna laugh and I think they wanna be put in a good mood. I mean, I give credit to all the late night comedians and they have to talk what's going on, but you know, you do have an obligation to be funny and uh, you know, I talk about serious things, but there's a lot of people in this world who can talk about serious things seriously and earnestly and make good points. But it's a responsibility. I mean, you've got to make people feel good and, and, and laugh. And we don't need to make speeches and, and, and they, you know, it really has to be funny. So I think that's a tricky thing. But there's always things to talk about. And even with the pandemic, you know, we've developed so many things that we had a survival, you know, and I always joke that you know, in the few minutes I've been talking to you guys, it's the longest I've gone without washing my hands, you know, in several months. And, uh, and the one good thing, I mean, comedically about going through a shared experience like this is that it is shared. And any reference we make about what it's like living through this, people around the world can relate mm -hmm. to. So from a, that standpoint, it's, it's, uh, it's helpful. How about being a New Yorker, though, and going through this? But yeah, well, that's another thing. And, and depending where you live and people's perspectives and, you know, I, I was joking, you know, I do this podcast called Getting Through This with Tom and Scott. And uh, it's basically we talk about our lives. We do it every single day. Uh, and being in this moving process, I'm moving to Manhattan, which goes against all these stories, whoever after everyone's leaving, they're all leaving, they're fleeing, they're all going to the suburbs. That's what they really want, the suburbs. Where after all these years, people would mock the suburbs. I'm not gonna be in the suburbs now. Oh, I want the suburbs. So a lot of that is <laughs> how accurate that is. But I, in my, my mind, and I have friends on the Upper West Side, and, and yes, there are diehard New Yorkers who you know, have their issues with uh, the administration, the city, and various social ills. But I, there was never a doubt that I was gonna move back to Manhattan and uh, you know that's where I want to be and I, I think I like in New York now to like a road company of a hit show they may not have all the stars right now but still got great music and lyrics and book and it's still amazing you know so and it's coming back I see it already I was in the city Sunday walking through the park still nothing like it. when you walk through the park from the east side of the west side at 81st it could have seemed like you know the old normal so I'm optimistic about the city and any of these people who write these articles about, oh, it's dead, it's never coming back. They don't know New York and it, uh, it will. So I'm happy to be you know, moving back. Your colleague, Jerry Seinfeld, uh, took a big stand about supporting New York through this and New York will be back. Thoughts? Yeah, I agree with Jerry. I mean, there were 
some cynics would say, well, he's got that big place in East yeah. Hampton. But, but, well, uh, there's that. Yeah, but I do know, <laughs> and I believe, Jerry, that he is a real New Yorker. And I think soon he'll be walking around the Upper West Side again. And I mean, the article he was referring to was by this co-owner of a comedy club. And I read it, and it was so nonsensical what this guy was saying. It would, it would basically mean every city in the world would go under, which isn't mm. happening. So... Uh, I've always been an optimist. I think all comedians, you have to be an optimist because the heart of comedy is generally, wouldn't it be great if, well, what, what, what would it be like if, and it's never, what would it be like if, you know, a horrible thing happened, you know? Right. So it's always a positive right. thing. And, and that's what uh, I think has to get us through. What do you feel, do you think the media though is responsible to an extent in driving the hysteria or dramatic element to all of this. I just find that I always feel most of the reaction, while this is a very, very difficult, horrific thing we're dealing with, but the world has dealt with worse things before. Mm. But the media seems to be the thing that is really the core of driving the hysteria. From a comedic standpoint, what does that look like to you? Well, you know, it, it's, it's always hard to say. I think, frankly, going back to the advent of 24-hour cable news, I'm going to sound like mm. beyond middle-aged warrior at this point, but... Uh, <laughs> You know, in some ways it's been great and helpful and there's great journalists, certainly. Journalists are better than ever and they're great and, and they're courageous. And uh, I certainly, when the president calls them the enemy of the people, that's certainly concerning. Yeah. But it is ratings. It's all about ratings and keeping people watching. And I frankly don't watch CNN, MSNBC. I read, I get the New York Times delivered every day still, the actual physical paper. And I find you talk about hysteria. I think if you read it in a newspaper, you're getting, I think, accurate information. And you can balance it. Now, I think we're going through an unprecedented time, at least uh, in terms of pandemic since 1918. I'm starting to read The Great Influenza by John Barry about 1918. Mm. And um, How upbeat. Oh, yeah, it's good beach reading. You know, I live by the beach. <laughs> right before day. bedtime, yeah. But the interesting thing is one little fact about that, you know, we always joke and, and you know, with dating is like the ultimate not just Jewish girls, but women in general. Oh, he's a doctor. Oh, you got to marry a doctor. <laughs> well, up until 1900, I didn't know this, the United States had the worst medical system in the developed world. You could go to medical school without a high school diploma. There was only <laughs> one school that you needed a college degree. So basically being a doctor was like nothing. And they oh. never worked on patients. So, but that all turned around around the turn of the century, 1900. And then, oh. uh, so it's, I didn't know that. So that was already... Right. Interesting, but yeah, getting back to that, look, I think um, hysteria, I think that people, you know, I listen to the science and the data too. That's why back in April, I felt uneasy walking around even. I felt, oh, that guy jogged by me, forget it, I got it. So by learning things like, okay, the outdoors is relatively safe, or these, you, know, you don't have to scrub down or wear a hazmat suit when you get something from Amazon Fresh, you know, right. things like that. Uh, but I do think it's very serious and look, 200,000 Americans and maybe more, have died. And uh, the biggest issue, I mean, on a serious note, is that this was downplayed. It wasn't handled effectively as it was in many countries in Europe. So, you know, I don't think it's the media creating the hysteria, but I think that um, what I'm actually more concerned about is the other side of it, where we have people who ignore mm. scientific evidence, who think mask wearing doesn't help, or it's even dangerous. And, and unfortunately, Trump is, is you know, help that opinion, uh, embolden that kind of opinion. So I just wish we lived in a world where people said, okay, this is what we're going through, just like you did in World War II. We're gonna bounce, we're gonna stick together, we're gonna do this, we're all together on it. And believe me, is it really a sacrifice to put on a 
you know, a mask. I have friends who are doctors. They wear it, you know, 15 <laughs> hours a day just right. to wear it and to follow very basic things. It seems to me a very little to ask. So uh, I think that's what we people uh, need to do. Are you doing your show Stand Up for Peace live on Zoom or... Uh, is that on on hold right now? Uh, well, we're I'm starting to put the word out again on Zoom, and you know, Dino Vidala, who I've done the show with now for uh, about 16 years, he has a show on Sirius every right. day. But there is more flexibility. A nice thing about Zoom is, uh, you know, you can reach out to people anywhere. And in colleges, even though they're not all having things in class, they do have budgets. So we are going to, you know, hopefully get some of those. And I'm doing a show called Lockdown Comedy. Uh, October 15th, um, uh, there's a woman, Lisa Gadulde, they do a show called Kung Pao Kosher Comedy, which I've done three times. <laughs> and so, and it's great. So I, I, I'm gonna be on that and you get tickets on Eventbrite for that. But, um, but it, you know, being a middle-aged warrior, you know, uh, it, the Zoom thing was like, okay, it's out there, but it wasn't my first thought, you know, back in April, I'm gonna do shows on Zoom. It sort of took those extra months to go, oh, right, okay. I could use that. Right. And it is, there's a lot of advantages. The commute is much easier. <laughs> yeah. You know how it is with anything That's creative. Right. You know, I, the commute is coming from here to like three hours round trip and getting ready and all this yeah. and yeah. you're on for eight minutes. Or especially yeah. when you do pundit stuff, you know, you get all ready and this and you, you know, and then it's four minutes and the other guy never shut up. So you really got to say like right. two things. So now if I walk from my bed to the computer, it's not as big a, a commitment. You know? find a hairbrush along the way, right? right? Hopefully, yeah. 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 Now, do you find that you've you've tweaked or changed or altered your comedic technique because of this is the way now you're doing your act via Zoom as opposed to in person? I think Zoom is interesting. And again, I haven't been doing it a lot. And I've watched, I did watch one show last week, the show that I'm doing next month, Lockdown Comedy. And I did do a show every year. I do in Nantucket. And uh, believe me, I wish I was on Nantucket. But we did mm -hmm. the show on Zoom. And I find that it's just the same way that a stand-up comic, maybe a comic who's great in a club and could kill for an hour, but mm -hmm. when they do a five-minute pop on TV, it's not as effective or vice versa. And I find that on Zoom, I think there's some comics who lend themselves better on Zoom. And I think Zoom actually, in a way, if you're personable, and, and uh, I, I think that goes a long way. And I think people, again, this isn't a scientific uh, observation, but I think I don't know if people want as harsh stuff on Zoom. I think they want to laugh and I think they want to be comforted and be part of a community. So um, you can still do political, but I think people want to be uplifted even more. So I think, I think it's an adjustment. I think you, there's certain things you could, it's more intimate, I think, because you know if you're in a club and people are getting served drinks and here you can do little nuances. So it is almost like doing TV in a sense. Uh, except people are in, you know, little boxes. <laughs> I was having dinner the other night uh, with somebody who's significantly younger than I am, certainly not a middle-aged warrior. He just turned 20 and uh, a couple other 22 and 27-year-olds at the table. And I was thinking to myself, I'm so glad that I am a middle-aged warrior going through this rather than being um, somebody of that age thinking about what their future holds. I mean, I don't mean to be macabre or, or uh, what's the word I'm A negative with? Nancy? Yes, a <laughs> negative Nancy, thank you. But I'm so glad this is theoretically in the last quarter of my life rather than the second quarter, which 
is yeah. uh, kind of pathetic, but it, it is what it is. Yeah, I guess I, I look at it that, um, well, number one, I really feel bad for students. Uh, you know, that's yeah. a, college kids and seniors and all that. It's, 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 it's difficult. Uh, and the only thing I look at it as far as being older is, and I also think that I don't look at it in a fatalistic way that this is, I think we're going to, uh, hopefully the, the second wave of tourism won't be too significant. And I think we'll be seeing by the early next year, I mean, things be a lot more promising, I, I hope. So the way I look at it, though, is that this attitude that they say sometimes, well, let the old people stay inside and the young people go out. So, Wait a minute, I have to stay inside forever? It's like the old people should be the ones out because theoretically you have less time than someone who's in your 20s. So, so the whole notion of, that's the only thing that was striking me like, uh, okay, I like being at home, it's comfortable, and yeah, it's fine. And, and I'm at a point in my career where I do kind of feel sorry for the comics when we're starting out. You did yeah. it seven nights a week, four shows a night. So they, they really are feeling it. My schedule was not as busy as that for various reasons. So in that sense, it's not all that different. But, uh, but I do feel that's my only thought. Like, gee, I want to be utilizing everything I can do now. And I, I want to be safe. But so I'm not as you know, comfortable with, I'm just going to stay home till next April. You know? So uh, but I think I, I really do think we have to be positive about this. And, and I mean, as you said earlier, Chris, too, I mean, it's, it is very serious. But uh, you know, there are other risks in life too, aside from a virus. So, uh, you know, my friend who I do the podcast with, Tom Saunders, he uh, is in LA and he basically stays in his house all the time. And sometimes we do these little fake interventions where I say, you know what, you got to get out. And obviously I'm all about being safe and, I'm, and, and but there's so many things you can do and just walking, right. you know, walking through the park, walking anywhere, you got to do that and it's healthy. So uh, I would focus on the things you can do and not the things we can't do can't right, right now. Well, I have to bring up a very, very serious, painful topic right now. Um, oh. The Mets and the Jets. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're both, I mean, where, where? Is there any glimmer of light for any New York sports fan of the Mets and the Jets? Yeah, and, and the Mets did seem very uh, promising. I mean, I guess they have a very outside, very outside yeah. shot, I guess. But well, that's probably not. Um, you know what, this year in a weird way, and I started off with, I got, made sure I had SNY and everything. I'm going to watch every game. You know, I would go to several games, but I wasn't always watching a lot of television. This year I'm going to watch a lot. And I, I didn't. And I do feel almost like I'm glad they got it in. I mean, it looked like in the beginning it was going to be derailed when the Cardinals and the Marlins got sick. And I'm glad it's happening. I'm glad it's, so it, it, not that I'm less disappointed, but I may be a little bit, a little tempered a little bit by, I'm glad they're playing. And I, I'm not, I don't keep the fan thing. Uh, my friend was talking about the NFL and how weird it is. And I was joking. Sometimes it's, uh, well, first of all, we've all gone to like Met games on a Thursday <laughs> afternoon when there's yes. 14,000 yeah. and that's announced. And mm -hmm. I don't, I'm fine with it. I don't need, I don't like when it's packed in and, uh, you, mm -hmm. you know, so and I, I basically watch a Met game and I forget the fan, the lack of fans pretty early on. So I'm just glad they're playing and that basically for the most part, people stay safe. And, you know, the Steve Cohen thing, I mean, you know, yeah. a little, I'm not sure. I mean, it's good sure. that I guess he has some money. He's not in some ways the upstanding pillar of the community, but, uh, you know, that's. Well, it could have been, it could have been J-Lo and A-Rod, so. Uh... <laughs> yeah, it's always a trade-off. So, uh, but I'm just looking forward to 
back next year and going to those Thursday noon games. And there's nothing like it, just being out, talking to your buddies. And, you know, you glance at the scoreboard every now and then, just in case somebody asks you. <laughs> you know, so I, uh, yeah. And I, I think the Mets definitely, the Jets, I, I, you know, it's always too hard to encourage. But like I said, I, I feel just I'm glad they're able to get the seasons in. And Yeah, I think, it, you know, for me, and you, you nailed it when you said, I'm not as disappointed. Because to me, it's sort of, this was just to give us a little sense of normalcy, bring back what summer was supposed to represent, you know, they play baseball. So it's nice to watch a game. But expectations of getting, I guess, as emotionally involved in them winning or losing wasn't as important as go around. It was just that they were playing and that they're playing. And this this guy sitting next to me, he poo-pooed the whole thing. Ah, don't even bother. Uh, I mean, Sorry. You know what? It's just... uh... I mean, I'm a big sports fan and I like watching sports on TV and I like going in person. But the other night I was flipping through and one network had a baseball game on, another network had the NHL on. And I was like, I just, I seem to check that a little bit and I feel guilty about that, but it is what it is. Well, part, part of that is that we have this overlap that we never usually have of just That's every single too. sport in the world going on. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and I think, again, you know, being a the Mets fan, I guess, what the other flip side of it, what if they did win the World Series? And you're right. like, yeah, but that was a 60-game regular season. It didn't really right. count. Yeah. Never, so, no, in a way, I'm glad that, uh, you know, let's save it for when it's the longer Right, when it's season. the real, but, um, real McCoy. And, yeah, and I haven't watched as much of anything that I thought I would, too. But I'm just glad it's going on and, and – uh, you know, the, the college stuff, that's a whole other thing. We'll see see how that mm. is. But, you know, it is it is something that uh, people do need, I think, and it is a nice distraction. So, um, yeah, there's always waiting until next year with everything. Right. That's true. Listen, that's what they're going to carve in all our headstones, I believe. Wait until yeah. next year. So are you uh, upbeat heading into this home stretch of the political season, so to speak? And I also I wanted to ask you how... Uh, because you're a Brooklynite, with Ruth uh, Bader Ginsburg passing, any impact, any thoughts on that? Yeah, well, it's always, always, there's so many great people in the world or that we don't know about. And thankfully, she has gotten her due and documentaries about her. But I think more and more people are just realizing how great and how impactful and groundbreaking she, she was. And I almost wish the media would carve out more time for that like in media and social media, it's always the worst people. And I think, sadly, to be blunt, our president is, is just one of the worst people, aside from everything else. And he gets all the oxygen. And I really wish that we more people knew about the greatness of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And, and I do love the fact she's a Brooklyn girl and, and really uh, just seemed like just a wonderful person all around. And uh, I really do hope that they... I know it's politics, but it, it really, yeah. uh, they, they should wait until we have a, a new president. I, I really do think that President Obama not being allowed to pick Merrick Garland was something that should have been talked about more at the time, and it wasn't, and it really was a blow to democracy. And, and uh, that's what I worry about. I really, you know, I always try to bring people together in my comedy, and I do a bit about, I'm going to say something now about politics that you're all going to agree with. And then I say, everybody should vote. You know, and I go on about that because to me, voting, and I wish we spent, put more money and spent more time focusing on voting. And I do think it is 
it is safe and mailing in and it's irresponsible to say there's fraud and all that. Uh, I love voting. When I go in a voting booth, I always wave when I walk out just to convince yeah. people like, what's he running for? You know? <laughs> uh, and it takes me a while. I'm a little OCD, so it takes me about three hours to vote. <laughs> Democrat, Democrat. What's doing in there? One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I'm always optimistic. And I think that I just hope, all I can hope for is that it's a fair and, and uh, process uh, and all the votes are counted fairly. And I feel good. If that's the case, I feel good about what the outcome is going to be. Scott, you are a treasure and we are so happy to be able to call on you as a middle-aged warrior and, uh, and part of the fabric here, especially contributing from the perspective that you come from. Good luck with the move into yeah. the city. Mm -hmm. uh, welcome back. It's going to be great to have you. Well, thank you. Uh, we'll give, we'll give you a room. Well, I'm glad we'll be closer together. Yeah, we could all do this in one room. That's our next goal. We could all That's do this it. in the yeah. same room. So <laughs> I look forward to that. And I have to say, just talking to you guys, and I'm honored that you chose me to come back. Uh, one of the few, only the second guest to be uh, asked back. And uh, not that the other won't be asked back, but <laughs> that I'm Because uh, really, just doing this, we talk about getting through it. And it has really been a lift talking to you guys. And Good. just can't wait to do this hey, in you're right up there with global warming yeah. Yeah, on our list. So there you go. <laughs> I appreciate the comparison. <laughs> take right, care. Scott. We'll see you soon, okay? okay. Thanks again, take, take care, guys. Thanks very much. Thanks, Scott. Be well. I got to tell you, I love that guy. Yeah. He's just got the greatest attitude about anything and everything. He's been through a lot of stuff in his life, as we all have, but he still maintains his sense of humor. That That is a middle-aged warrior right there, and you can Indeed. keep laughing through it, right? Indeed. So we've got the political season upon us, obviously, and that was one of the things we talked about uh, right. with Scott. But the other thing... Uh, the painful, oh, yeah. the really painful part was that uh, all of us are Met fans. Not that this is a particular, really a true season, but uh, something we'd be remiss that we didn't mention actually in the past couple of weeks that happened. Right. Uh, the loss of the Mets franchise, known as the franchise, Tom Seaver. Yeah. God, it's it's hard to believe. And he's young. What was Tom? 72? Yeah, I think something? he was only in his early 70s. Yeah. And, you know, he was suffering from uh, dementia and. You know, my other favorite met Bud Harrelson, Bud Harrelson, also dealing with the same thing. And, and, you know, those guys, I believe, when they were on the road, I remember reading, you know, books about the 69 Mets in particular, they were roommates. So it's it's kind of a strange, uh, a sad coincidence. But Tom, you know, great memories, though. I mean, yeah. he took he took the Mets from being a laughing stock and in two years made them world champions, winning 25 games in 1969. And uh, just so many great, great uh, games that he pitched. Almost <laughs> no hitters for the Mets. He won 25 games in 69? Yeah. Oh, yeah. my goodness. And I think he had a couple of seasons with an ERA, I know at least one, with an ERA under two. My goodness. Can you imagine now, a starting pitcher has an ERA under four. They think he, this is this, he's yeah, worth Hall millions. Of famer. Yeah, yeah, really. You know, and M. Donald Grant at the time uh, with the Mets, uh, you know, who was running the team, and the Paysons, I guess, they didn't want to pay him, I believe it was something like $250,000. Is that when they sent him to Cincinnati? Yeah, yeah. That was the late... Uh, early 80s, late, late 70s. That had to be the 70s, yeah, I want to say. I don't remember now. You, you put me on the spot. It might have been 77-ish, something like that. I'm not yeah. really sure. Uh, he didn't really pitch long enough as a Met because then he went on to pitch his no-hitter as a Cincinnati Red. Correct. Uh, he went on to win his 300th game with... The Chicago White Sox. Uh-huh. And I think he had his 3,000 strikeout either with them or... I think he even briefly... Did he briefly pitch for Cleveland and then the Red Sox? It was just... I know he pitched for Boston. So sad that, yeah. you know, uh, they did bring him back and then they lost him in, in, on waivers. So it was just... Yeah. Uh, but 
Tom was the consummate pitcher. This guy was smart and talented, uh, good-looking. He ran this town. I remember seeing his wife, Nancy, the blonde hair, sitting in the stands every game. Oh, yeah. It was just part of growing up as a New York Mets fan. Tom Seaver was, was the fabric of it, really. He was the franchise, and he was part of the, he was part of the fabric, absolutely. Yeah. A, gr- a great loss, but uh, we tip our hat, and we thank you for all the memories. And real quick, you had, a, you had kind of a much more personal memory with Tom, right? When yeah, you were yeah, I did. I, you know, when I was 11 years old, I, and a little voice like this. Hello, Tom. Yeah, <laughs> and my uh, and there used to be a, a Marv Albert sports talk show in New York, on I think on WNBC, but I'm not positive. And Tom Seaver was a guest, and my brother put me up to calling the show to ask Tom Seaver a question, <laughs> which I did. I asked him a question about, oh, Tom, how come the Mets don't get like Nate Colbert or somebody <laughs> like that? From Nate the Colbert, San yeah, from San Diego. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And uh, my brother, uh, being the <laughs> journalist that even he was back then, uh, tape recorded it wow. on a cassette and found that cassette a few years ago. That's amazing. Ran off a dub, sent it to me of me calling Marv Albert Show, asking Tom a question. Wow. And so I ran off a dub of that and was able to track down Tom and sent him a copy of that. And of course, subsequently, I went on to work in New York radio for many years. Well, and I said, Tom, I worked at Light FM for 13 years, yada, yada, yada. But this was the first time I was actually on the radio in New York. And I <laughs> sent him that cassette. And he sent me the most generous and sweet note in an autographed picture back that said, thanks for the memories. That's precious. I mean, that's, 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 that has to be one of your most treasured items. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm sure. I think he actually went on to be an announcer for a while. I think he was actually in the Yankee announcing booth for a while I as think well. so, too. Uh, but uh, certainly a, a, a sad loss, way too soon, but a, a man that left behind an indelible mark in any Mets fan's heart. Uh, just, just one of the greatest, and may always be the greatest of that franchise. We, we miss you, Tom. Uh, but uh, I guess we have to saunter on here. And, and I throw it back to you and say thanks for the memories. Yeah, absolutely. With that, uh, sunshine always, everybody. Let's leave this on an up note. Stay well. Be good. Feel good. Thanks for being with us, and we'll catch you again on our next Middle Age Warriors. Hey, if you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes, preferably five stars. No begging. Uh, We're available also on your favorite directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can find us at Believe.com, that's B-L-E-A-V.com, and at Believe Podcasts. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.